0: You get a group of kids together who you know have been through traumatic experiences, and you give them something that gives them a bit of release and joy. And my God, you get a wave of energy back. And and I'm quite a scientific person. I would like. I, I don't know how to measure that energy, <laughs> but it's a it's a, a colossal human energy comes flying say, back at back at and it says, you know, carry on, do this, please.
1: Welcome to The Doctor's Kitchen Podcast, the show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. My name is Dr. Rupi. I'm a medical doctor. I also study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me on this podcast, where we explore multiple determinants of what allows you to live your best life. And remember, you can sign up to thedoctorskitchen.com, for the newsletter where we give weekly recipes plus tips and hacks on how to improve your lifestyle today. Music as medicine. This is the topic of today's discussion with Professor Nigel Osborne. He is quite an incredible person. I'm so excited to introduce you to them. If you haven't come across him yet, He's Professor of Medicine, Emeritus Professor of Medicine and Human Sciences at the University of Edinburgh, I should say. He's a composer, a teacher and a humanitarian aid worker. He's been decreed by The Guardian as one of the UK's best kept musical secrets. And I completely understand that. His works have been performed around the world by major orchestras and opera houses such as the Vienna Symphony, the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And the Berlin Symphony, Gleinborn, the Royal Opera House. Honestly, he's had so many awards, so many prizes. Uh, There's just too many to name. And this podcast is all about medical music therapy. And if you haven't come across it before, you're in good company because neither have I really. I've always thought about musical therapy as something that's quite nice to do. It might help calm nerves, but it doesn't really have that much medical validation or clinical or academic validation, I should say. I've proven myself wrong in in just researching for this podcast episode because there is clear neurological, biological and psychomatic reasons as to why music therapy can have distinct and impressive impacts on people's well-being and physiology and this isn't just about anxiety and mental health although it has impressive outcomes with that um, medical discipline it's a lot about autism dyslexia stroke traumatic ba- brain injury even neurodegenerative disease dementias which afflict many of us over the age of 70 years old so i think this as a specialty in itself is super exciting and Someone who's been spearheading this in the dark, if I'm honest, because I haven't heard much about this discipline in the past, is Professor Nigel, and his work is just absolutely amazing. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. It's definitely changed the way I want to look the brain and uh, the subject matters that I want to explore and on this podcast is exactly my opportunity to not only teach myself about the wider determinants of health but also take you on this journey with me. So I'm not going to say too much about what we discussed but you're going to learn about musical therapy, trauma, PTSD um, and his incredible system uh, X system which is a manner in which we can sculpt our inner senses, our lives, our autonomic nervous system, our hormones and, uh, and and use music as a therapeutic tool. Check out the website, show notes, look and watch some of the YouTube lectures that he's done. I've linked them all in the show notes. I think you're going to find this super, super enjoyable. I can't remember how I came across you. I think it was a mixture of me um, finding out about your work a couple of years ago forgetting about it and then somebody else nudging me uh, a couple of weeks ago saying have you heard of musical therapy and I remember thinking yes no I have heard of it because I've watched a few TED talks from some of your peers uh, no doubt people that you know and uh, I I remember thinking yeah this is is absolutely incredible and I I do need to discuss this topic Um, and and I, I did a bit more research about you and your wonderful work and I just thought I have to try and speak to you if not on the podcast then you know just to reach out and and commend your incredible work so um thank you so much for making the time to to chat to us today
0: pleasure pleasure
1: great so i thought maybe we could start off by introducing uh, our listeners and our community to to you and and how you got involved with some of the work that you're doing with musical therapy um in particular for children and where that 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 whole um, journey started
0: yeah, well, it started very early in my life because I was always interested in music therapy um, and i 'd also been very attracted towards medicine. It, it was the kind of vocation that I could have i 'm um, sure i 've been a lousy doctor, but I'd love to try <laughs> um, and uh, uh, anyway, I was always fascinated by that, and it was actually when I was studying and working in Poland, Eastern Europe, at a time you know when the old communist system was in place, different life, and I'd been involved in performances where we'd gone around hospitals and other places playing, and I would noticed the huge effect that the music was having on people, Um, simply cheering them up at one level, um, but also getting them moving. People who were not supposed to be able to move around started moving around, uh, and things like that. And And so I got very interested, and so when I got back I started working in bits of music therapy. And at that time, there was no uh, clinical qualification. Um, That came later. Um, And so I'm still in the position of being an unqualified um, music therapist I'm, I'm at peace with the profession because I admit this openly uh, and I'm actually what they call the grandfather generation in other words the generation that had to start up you know and uh, so actually I taught in music therapy departments and taught music therapists but I'm not actually uh, uh, qualified and it's a very important thing to say uh, 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 as you would appreciate um, keep good faith everywhere so mm-hmm. I started doing that and did, and the other thing that was really interesting was in doing little bits of nursing and things like that, I was able in the, uh, the back door that existed in the medical profession at that time, and I'm going to be very careful about this on this podcast, but, but I did manage to get myself into various lectures. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 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 and I got, and particularly, and, and, and began a lifelong fascination with neurology. And I was very lucky after that, having been out to, by the back door, and I, and I hope I've never abused my back door status. But I did. That. I, I was able to have some wonderful mentors. So one of my mentors was the, the uh, head of neurology services in Northern Ireland, Michael Swallow, and he was one of my mentors. We worked together on music and Parkinson's and things like that. So it was wonderful to have, and I'm lucky still to have people like that in my life. Currently working with a wonderful man called Michael Trimble, who was head of Queen's Square, Britain's chief neurologist, and we're working on music and epilepsy together. So, anyway, that was the part of the journey, and then, so I kept that going as an interest from the earliest stage. Though I'd had to earn my living at times doing other things. Um, it was not um, uh, it was, there was not always the capacity to stay alive doing that, but I always kept it going. And I suppose the the other important step was uh, when I started working with children with trauma was I was actually for human rights reasons. I was in Bosnia at the beginning of the war visiting and saw the situation with children, which was dreadful. Uh, uh, unbelievable that we allowed that to happen in a medieval siege of a modern city for quite some time. Um, and uh, and then I thought, well, is this something we could do, you know, with, I think this is, this is something we could help with with music. I had no uh, I had no evidence that we could. It was a hunch. But knowing things that we'd done in music therapy before, sorts of transformations we were able to offer, particularly to children, I thought, let's have, give it a go. And so we did. Uh, and so with colleagues in Besiege City, we started work. Uh, and we discovered some extraordinary things. I mean, one is that you get a group of kids together who you know have been through traumatic experiences. And you give them something that gives them a bit of release and joy and uh, my god you get a wave of energy back and and i'm quite a scientific person i would like i, I don't know how to measure that energy <laughs> but it's a it's a, a colossal human energy comes flying it, back back you, yeah. it's, and it says you know carry on you know do this please <laughs> and so uh, uh, we get those kinds of responses and then more official responses came because i didn't use the word therapy mm. And uh, we just were making a distraction for the children uh, in, in, in terrible circumstances. And then the Ministry of Health um, sort of came to see our work, said, can we have a look? And, and they liked it. They asked me to scale it up. And they used the word therapeutic. They said, this is, you know, we think this is a good therapeutic program. Yeah. So please, you know, keep it going if you can. And then that led to many things. We to other cities in Bosnia to Mostar, where we built the Pavarotti Center with Luciano Pavarotti, um, attended by the rock stars, you know, Bono and you name it, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Zuccaro and uh, uh, whatever. Um, but um, uh, uh, yeah, so we, we we were able to to to, to build a kind of fairly permanent things and so it's gone on like that and and that's that's history really of me early interest and then a new wave of interest when discovered that we could really help kids with trauma
1: that's incredible i mean the the first question that comes to mind and i don't know whether you're able to speak about this in the podcast so so don't worry if you can't but how were you able to go into bosnia at that time how are you actually able to to get access to the city and work with the children
0: um, yes, it was uh, through a couple of things. I mean, I'm, I can admit to it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, on, on some occasions, um, I had got commissioned as a journalist. Okay. And I went in as a journalist. Um, and I guess the journalistic profession will never forgive me, but, uh, but I don't think I was putting them into danger. I did write the articles, but actually I was doing something else as well. And then later when I felt that that was wrong for me to pose, um and i didn't have any commissions to write articles so it would, would have been simply a lie uh, then i uh, there was a way by that time into sariovo by tunnel uh, uh was an old drainage ditch under the airport and there was a way of getting over Mount Igman at night uh, you walked down at night because there were snipers down the uh, the people besieging sariovo had full sight of the mountain tracks you went down at night and then um found a way of getting to the entrance to the tunnel at the edge of the airport. Then you went through the tunnel into the city, which, uh, which my back still hurts from those days. <laughs> yeah, it was far too low for me, about four feet high. Or something. Um, and, and you had to put I had a that you put on the front of you. And so you can imagine what that did to your back—hunched yeah. over for a mile or whatever it was under ground. I mean, you know, something I couldn't even contemplate trying now, but I, I uh, managed just about, but still have a sore back from it. Um, and uh, and so that was uh, that, that was how I got into the city. Yes. Um, uh, so so uh, that that was open for the tunnel for much of the time a very dramatic experience because it was Mm. used by the bosnian army to defend the city as well they'd send you know groups of troops out to to give trouble to the besiegers um and it was the main supply route as well so what you had to do frankly was flatten yourself against the wall certain points when troops came running through uh, or or indeed when some you know important consignment of stuff was being delivered um so that was that was the the drama of that and then then in the city um i stayed in various places and um uh, and you learned to survive um learned learned a lot of things about how to wash with a teacup of water I mean, I mean, very, yeah. a very good kind of you know, <laughs> COVID time exercise. You know? yeah. you, can yeah. you actually make yourself completely clean with a cup of water? Well, the answer is you can, um, you know, if, if you're careful and meticulous, you can. Yeah. And people were clean. It was amazing. You know, the hygiene levels are superb in that city without water. It's an interesting human paradox. You know, when we have easy access to water, people get quite lazy and sloppy. Uh, Like, you know, Lockdown Britain, I know. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) as sloppy as I've seen. Uh, Again, uh, whereas there, the people were, you know, having real problems were beautifully clean. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's the the incredible ability of uh, humans to adapt to any given situation and thrive as well, which is uh, amazing to see.
0: It is, and compensations. You no, know, we, we we're li- missing something, so you know we create something to take its place. Uh, no, it's, it's 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 good for us, maybe. And, I mean, sieges are not good for us. But, but mm-hmm. sometimes we probably do live in too much comfort. And yeah. um, even in lockdown, for many people, it may be uncomfortable, but it's uh, the, the levels of basic survival don't seem to be too difficult. Um, uh, whereas I think that um, occasionally in our lives, if we have to face real difficulties, it's good for yeah. us to and to value the good moments, you know, to value when we've been lucky. Um, okay that's good (laughs) i've got i've got i've got a meal today wonderful
1: (laughs) yeah it's this newfound appreciation for the simple things that we would have otherwise overlooked right yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and it's difficult to get it right isn't it because on the one hand you know we don't want to put people through difficulties in order to appreciate how lucky they are on the other hand it really is important to appreciate how lucky you are uh, for human beings really very important
1: absolutely yeah so i'm loving this story so you know it it came out of uh your your humanitarian instinct to want to try and help people uh under the siege and um i suppose you you came at it from a, a like an unscientific uh perspective it was like just something you thought would would help the children a distraction like you described
0: yes absolutely it was a hunch i mean there were some bits of you know music therapy experience that were relevant and scientifically proven but no um uh, and that's why we were so surpri- surprised by the results um that the physical changes and presentation and you know, the way that and mm. um, the way that children behaved and adults um we we were quite shocked by what those changes and, and and you know that was what drove me on the lines of coming dusting off my neurology textbooks and and looking at you know what is the reason for this Uh, and and I was very lucky because that was exactly the moment when there was a big growth of knowledge about this there was music medicine and science about music had begun to grow Um, I'm talking about the 90s Mm. Um, I think it was a number of things it was advances more common access to things like fMRI um, you know to brain scanning and I think advances in science itself in realising that um, things like, you know, heart rate variability are important, Mm. uh, as well as heart rate. Um, Respiratory sinus arrhythmia Mm. is so important. Realising that endocrine um, changes can be very powerful and, and, you know, important for human beings. I mean, people, that knowledge had been accumulating, so it had kind of come to a head at that point where we were ready for um, a musical medical science. So the answers I was looking for were there in the articles you know they were yeah. coming out by the day oh okay yeah. <laughs> that's why <laughs> uh, uh, and it was very convenient because i didn't want to and can't experiment with traumatized children yeah. i mean there were some studies of course i mean the harvard social medicine school did a very good study which we've used a lot there was an insoluble longitudinal study which was very helpful um, but that was that was simple psychometrics uh but what we needed was physiological measures and things for the things we were doing and, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to invade the children in any way mm-hmm. we occasionally were able to piggyback on gp and other uh, research little bits and pieces but not mm-hmm. nothing consistent but what, what we were able to do was we were able to take data from um, you know people who didn't have trauma um, and what was it doing to their heart rate and breathing and, and so on um, and discovering things we could kind of almost triangulate you know that way so so um, it, it, it is a problem you know uh, it remains a problem researching this because uh, there no, there's another uh, uh, obstacle if you want to do an RCT trial say in a, a, a camp refugee mm. camp that's really difficult with moving populations um, mm. and also for me when I work there, I want to help the kids as much as I can. Establishing a control group that you don't work with, a measure, has ethical issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so we get around that sometimes, we're doing comparisons. So we'll do a compare, say, visual art music, and you know, we uh, We get, get around it sometimes by doing, offering everybody something, and then they become one another's controls. Uh, but uh, but there, there are lots of ethical problems, and I do think that they point to a way that, maybe we need to see some changes in science. I mean, uh, uh, it's happened in medicine uh, already, um, a a far greater willingness to look at a broader picture. Uh, And and, and although the RCT is still correctly the gold standard, correctly, nothing wrong with that. Nevertheless, it misses some things, and and there are places it can't be implemented. So let's do something else intelligent. Uh, uh, And I think we're getting there. And I think particularly the medical profession has led uh, in 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 moving that, it has managed to escape the claws of the drugs companies, uh, and, you know, with, for whom that is the the, the only um, perspective, um, and to do other things. So I, I'm very optimistic that we'll get a broader science capable of capturing these important human things.
1: I I think that's it. Really speaks to uh, the kind of work that I'm biased towards, which is nutritional medicine and lifestyle medicine, because. Uh, the same um, paradigm of being or the inability to measure those outcomes is, is the same, essentially. Randomized control trials, we, we can't really use them in a nutritional medicine context because there are just so many variables and it's very hard to control and and maintain uh, observations over that long period of time, and, and actually make sure that we're removing any um, things that could confound the results. So uh, and I, I so that I, I totally uh, think that yes, RCTs are fantastic, and they should be the gold standard. But we do need to think a bit laterally when we're thinking about scientifically. Um, measuring other aspects that aren't as binary as a singular intervention. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, I
0: mean, we have the same, in mu- exactly the same. I mean, music is a food of love, right? I mean, it's, it's also <laughs> sort of a form of nutrition. And, and, um, uh, and we have exactly the same problem. And also other things is in biological data are messy and fuzzy always. Mm, yeah. uh, and uh, and unfortunately, we apply a 19th century mathematics you know, in p-values, you know, um, uh, standard deviations and what have you, are not very good at capturing this kind of fuzzy stuff, where the significant thing can be some little thing that's happened up there, um, you know, that actually can be giving you the clue to what's really going on. And, and, and so there is that too, that we probably need to upgrade the mathematics a little bit. Um, I, I don't mean in any way, I mean, I'm actually arguing for more rigor. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm arguing for using some of our, our newer approaches to, to, to looking at data a little bit differently um, for significance, for example.
1: Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so how, how did your love of, of musical therapy sort of progress from Bosnia to the other countries uh, and, and experiencing uh, how musical therapy can be useful for, for children from, from different scenarios as well? And maybe even, you know, close to home
0: yes well what happened was it kind of flowed um uh, uh when i'd done the work in was doing the work in bosnia and by the way i never stopped i still run summer camps for children you know and indeed some of the adults who were children mm. at that time we're, we're still together it's very important um so we have no exit strategy that's really important mm. if you want to go into a job like that uh, don't you, you don't go if you have an exit strategy you've got to be prepared to stay in life right so yeah. anyway so we have done uh, but what happened as things in Bosnia develop is through word got around with word age with aid agencies and so I was in, invited to work in Kosovo um, with the refugee problem there uh, uh, um, and later places like Chechnya and later was invited to East Africa um, and, uh, and and even ended up in India um, uh, through all through through invitations. I, I, um, it, it, and I thought that was important, and always in relationship to local NGOs and organisations, mm. um, which I think is very important too. I mean, I'm not in any way criticising international NGOs. May they thrive and prosper. Uh, but there's something about local NGOs that is appropriate for the work I do, you know, mm. close to people, community, um, and so. It developed through that, through a series of serendipities, very nice invitations. um, My whole, my most important work in India began I was invited to a retreat in Jodhpur. Um, the Maharaja has something called the Indian Head Injury Foundation. And I've been one of their advisors because actually music therapy is very useful for getting language back after head injury. But that's another topic. Anyway, I was there and ended up chatting to a guy at breakfast. Um, and I would got a day, it was a free day. I planned a trip into the desert and all kinds of wonderful things. So I started breakfast the sky. And at dinner, we were still sitting there. 8 o'clock in the evening, is Michael Vijay by uh, Podar, um, who was head of the Arabindo, administrator of the Arabindo Foundation. And so I ended up in an ashram. Um, I mean, I'm not a devotee, um, but I'm a great respecter of the spiritual values. Uh, And what I like hugely and enormously is their attitude to work. Um, The people that work for the ashram are working with such beautiful altruism. Mm. and they're qualified people these are you know these are not you know do-gooding romantics they are qualified nurses and what have you who are doctors who are doing this work um uh, out of a kind of tremendous commitment to making the world a better place and taking responsibility for society and that feels really good to work mm. with um and it's one of those things also it's, it's a very funny thing about india you know It has this, it has a capacity, you know, to lose it in various ways. Uh, uh, And my God, it has a capacity to get things right. You know, Uh, when things go right in India, my God, that you won't find better. Uh, And so I've had, had that. You know uh, that pleasure and privilege to, to to be working. You know, and in the same thing in China, working with you know the top people and with the best. And, and so that's how it, it it has progressed. Um, in different cultures, I feel very, very, very lucky. Uh, I don't know where this good fortune came from. I, um, you know, it it it. I'm very, very, very lucky man.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, just some of the, uh, from the description of some of the work that I've I've read and, and stuff, it just sounds absolutely fascinating. And what's particularly interesting to me is that when I first come across music, when people first come across music, they initially think it's a, a, a humanities subject rather than something that actually has medical rigor and actually can manifest as one of the not curative, not, not something that can, you know, reverse thing or anything, but one of the many tools in our suite of lifestyle interventions that can lead to, to better clinical outcomes. And, and, that, and that for me is fascinating to, to dive into how on earth this is possible and if there are innate mechanisms that we are tapping into with the shared enjoyment of music that, you know, perhaps uh, c- can be used in a therapeutic manner uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. I mean, one interesting thing that's happened is an interesting little thing of history. Um, our ancestors believed fervently in music medicine, you know, um, so-called primitive societies, <laughs> and actually also the first civilized societies believed. I mean, you know, the great, you know, Arab scientists believed in music therapy. You know, um, Al-Farabi, you know, Ibn Sina, you know, the founders of medicine believed in mm. music therapy. Um, Ibn Sina knew that music could change the heart rate. I mean, basic things that are quite important. Uh, and, uh, you know, because actually, changing your heart is easy if you get something to move around. But if someone's sitting down, how do you change their heart rate? Well, with music. Mm-hmm. What if they're lying in a bed with music? Um, so uh, he discovered that. Uh, and so there, there was this long development. And in Europe, too, right the way up to the 16th, 17th century, there was a music medicine development. And there was a wonderful doctor called Robert Flood, who was also a composer, you know, uh, who invented, by the way, the thermometer and various other things. He was quite a brilliant guy. Uh, But he, you know, was thrown out of the Royal Society uh, because he had, among other things, proposed music meds, Uh, because the the kind of Cartesian revolution had begun. And so the proofs weren't there.
1: The observations
0: were, but not, you know, but not in the form as to be able to establish the sort of proof that the early cartesians wanted uh, also he happened to be a rosicrucian as well which didn't help so <laughs> he was, uh, uh, but he and mercen called him a you know, heretic and even you know he, he was he really got the whole european scientific establishment kicked him out um, right. but actually that was a, a a moment when you know music medicine was kicked out of science and it came back slowly in the 20th century um, partly through people realising in in the Second World War that music therapy was helping veterans quite a lot. But then that science suddenly got there. We got through, you know, brain imaging, through decent endocrinological research methods, you know, spectral analysis, all sorts of things that made us better at seeing what's going on inside the body. All showed up, my God, that music is changing. (laughs) uh, This looks totally different after the music. Uh, uh, And so we we started getting the evidence that Robert Floyd, God, apart from his Rosicrucianism, was right, that Ibn Sina was right, You know that actually there are some fundamental things about it. I think human beings created music to heal themselves, not heal themselves, to help yeah. themselves. Music mm-hmm. doesn't heal. It can mm-hmm. help with symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. It can make life a bit easier in various ways. It doesn't heal. You don't reverse things. Um, we can be quite spectacular sometimes. I mean, for example, with Parkinson's, which I did with Michael work. That is pure Lazarus, pick up your bed stuff. You know, yeah. we can have people in phases of Parkinson shuffling into a room, and with mm. music, we can get them running and dancing. I mean, yeah. it, uh, you, you have to see it to believe it. So there are some things that look like healing, but they're not. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 they they are helping people with symptoms.
1: Just for just for the listeners who haven't ever seen um, what you just described, that phenomena uh, of Parkinson's patients whose motor circuitry is de- degraded because of the progress of the disease and suddenly being given a piece of music with uh, a physiotherapist and a musical therapist and then all of a sudden their auditory and motor cortex almost collaborate in a way that overrides the degradation of their uh, their, their um, uh, motor cortex uh, motor cortices so they can actually walk seemingly in a in a non-parkinsonian fashion which is really pronounced and it's something that, you know, like like you said, it's kind of, you know, p- pick yourself up and, and, you know, wow, this is this is a heal. This has been cured, you know. It's quite amazing.
0: I'm very proud. One of the, uh, Michael, the great Michael Swallow, um, say so a chief neurologist in Northern Ireland, um, uh, who's very keen on, on the idea of, of music as, as, as medicine. Um, uh, I remember in the early days of working with Michael, and he said, we don't have the proof yet, but also this is to do in part with dopamine transmission mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, but we didn't have the proof because actually getting, you know, that proof is hard, even with modern science, because it, it involves time coordination of different measures. Um, but anyway, a wonderful guy in Montreal called Robert Zatori did it. Uh, And he put together positron emission tomography with fMRI, with EEG, and you name it, in order to get a time coordination at a specific place in the brain and Mm -hmm. prove that music was actually generating dopamine release. Um, uh, uh, And I was so pleased because Michael was no longer with us. But I thought, Michael, you were right. You know how wonderful that I've lived to see the day. You know that your great doctor's intuitions, because actually intuitions, I think, are important for doctors too. Uh, uh, His great doctor's intuition he had was. Spot, spot on, you know, absolutely mm. correct. Uh, so yes, um, stimulating motor cortex, but also probably helping to re- release whatever you know, dopamine. Obviously, yeah. there is a depletion of the dopamine mm. circuits, but in Parkinson's, but, but probably being able to encourage what's there to actually happen uh, is yeah. is is part of it. And um, and so I was so thrilled to be part of the conference where uh, Michael's uh, intuitions of fifty years ago. You know yeah. were proven to be correct, absolutely scientifically correct.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's wonderful to see. And it's it's wonderful to see some outcomes with um uh with post-traumatic stress disorder as well. Something that I think should become more typical in a post-pandemic era, particularly for medical staff. I, I recently had a conversation with one of the chief psychologists at um combat uh combat stress. Um And as you're probably aware, it's a charity that deals with PTSD, particularly for veterans. And, um, you know, one of the things that we were discussing is this uh, uh, impact of moral injuries. Moral injuries being where you've had to take decisions that challenge your inherent moral code. And I wonder the application of what you've seen for music therapy in children and, and adults as well for PTSD and how that could potentially be translated um, for, for medics going forward
0: yes I, I i mean i think we have a mass of interesting medical evidence um, and it starts very simple and one of the things that tends to get overlooked um, in trauma is its physiological symptoms mm. um, yeah. uh, like people with trauma will have on the average a heart rate of five or six beats per minute average higher than normal. And they're normal. They're normal, uh, and <clears throat> they're pre-trauma normal, um, and and they'll have also endocrine dysregulation. I mean, for example, cortisol um, in trauma will go sky high to begin with, obviously, mm-hmm. but then paradoxically it goes too low. Mm. um uh, there's a paradoxical effect, You're probably aware of it uh, and <clears throat> something to do with glucocorticoids and you know the, the hippocampus and, and and you know the command system of, of, of the cortisol hpa axis but something's going on there um uh, that reduces cortisol levels dangerously um uh, 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 and then there's the whole autonomic dysregulation that we've mentioned there's movement dysregulation the way that you know the children in particular, who are traumatized either become very hyperactive or very sluggish. Oliver A used to portray it like that uh uh had the pleasure of working a little bit for his institute in in the bronx and um uh, uh, he so those repertoires uh, and breathing a uh, very underreported the uh, the breathing difficulties mm. uh, and what's really important is music has a magic bullet for each of those. Music can regulate heart rate. It can regulate endocrine process. It's highly interactive with the cortis, all the HPA axis. It's highly interactive with the motor cortex and movement. So it's got things we can do. We can't cure these things, but we can make life more comfortable for people uh, when we can exercise them a little bit like that. And indeed, we can. We do seem to be able to free up some systems, but, uh, but that, that needs more research to, 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 to uh, verify that. Um, yeah. So there's lots. And then at the psychological level, as you say, the idea of having a trans, moral transmission of, uh, and all, all sorts of things to do with trust, um, negativity. Um, I think art and music is, is a wonderful machine for dealing with this. I mean when we make music we communicate with people in a particular way into subjective way in which we begin to share not only our thoughts but our feelings and the chemistry of our body as well there are neural substrates to that kind of musical communication um, we start you know firing the same neurons you know uh, in one another uh, 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 and so all sorts of things we can do for, for, for trauma I mean I think we're on <clears throat> I'm, I'm working with them um, my great privilege is working with TZESC and Weir Valley NHS at the moment a wonderful clinical leading uh, clinical psychologist Angela Kennedy um, uh, you know who has been developing trauma-informed care in her trust and and it's great to see these things eventually I mean coming out and coming to one of your earlier points it's my opportunity to bring what I've learned home and I'm no expert, but I do have some experience, I've, I've been 30 years working with people. Uh, uh, I've, I've seen some things, uh, and I'm still doing it, which means I can't be that bad. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, you know, I've, I've got a few things, it gives me a chance to bring home some of the bits of experience, and they're simple things, and they work, and, you know, uh, and so I'm really looking forward to, to this phase of exploring this. Um, you know, to a proper arts medicine that must be accountable. It's really important that that it is scientifically rigorous. Mm. As we said earlier, it would be nice to have some better mathematics than we have. It would be nice to have something more embracing of... The natural chaos chaos of biological data uh, yeah. uh, it would be nice to have that, uh, and, uh, uh, but if, if we, it, it, apart from that, it must be scientific, it must be rigorous, it must be totally accountable at every stage of what it is, because once it starts getting starry eyed we 've lost it yes you
1: know? yeah
0: uh, I agree uh, uh, it, it's, it, and it also has to you know respect and, and conform to the standards of the medical profession
1: you
0: know? uh, it, it has to take a Hippocratic oath somewhere along the line, you know, it has to. Be, <laughs> Uh, um, but it's interesting when I, when I, often to my music students, um, I often told them, you've got to be like doctors. Uh,
1: interesting. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, because in, in your care of your students, but also in your behavior, uh, mm. as is a you know, vast majority of medical professionals, extremely high standards of behavior and uh, in in you know in your reliability your human reliability your trustworthiness and your behavior towards others you have to be like doctors um so you know i think there's an interesting <laughs> thing for music there too uh, uh but it, it it is certainly uh, an important part of, of it yeah
1: it's it's incredible to know like you know there is research looking at the, those three pillars that i just picked up there the, the neurological side the biological side the endocrine the impact on the endocrine system your autonomic nervous system and and the hormones as well as the the psychological impact as well of music and you can understand when you piece all these bits of of music therapy together why it can be so effective and why it can be a silver bullet for a lot of different things and and one of those tools in terms of healing i i wonder where the science will go next, uh, obviously to your point about, you know, making sure that we're able to measure uh, appropriate outcomes from for natural uh, therapies, but, um, but I wonder where w- the utility of musical therapy can go next. Um, but, um, And actually, maybe we should start with where it is at now, because we, we've talked about PTSD, but I think it has application across a range of different conditions, right?
0: I mean, it, it has. I mean, it made its biggest successes, early successes with they were indeed in war veterans after the Second World War. Mm. But the other big one was with autism. Um, we have some quite magical effects. There again, we don't cure autism, not yeah. we cure autism, but, <laughs> yeah. but we do, we can help people with autism quite a lot um, in conjunction with speech therapists and others. We can do a good job. Um, so, yes, there are a number of fields like that um, depression, psych, and, and mental health issues are areas where um, there's been a lot of success with, uh, with, with music therapy, um, as well as things like um, um, getting speech back after strokes and head injuries, things like that. Because one of the nice things about music. Is that the bits of brain that deal with it tend to survive those processes of head injury? And uh, I mean, you know, unless you have a head injury that knocks out Heschel's gyrus, you know, you, you're going to retain your, and even then, you're going to retain some musical stuff from the stem. Mm. You know, it's it's indestructible. So it's as an indestructible part of your brain, it stays there, and so it's very very important in things of head injury. Uh, and right the way through to treatment of dementia, we can even, you know, I'm very much involved with care homes, uh, and we can even make life a little bit more enjoyable uh, for people in care homes, because they can, through the music, they can get their memories back for a yeah. little time. Um, so it facilitates, these are the areas where it's really strong, I think, music yeah. therapy. But it will expand, and one project is I've got, them might be interesting, and I hope that uh, uh, Professor Michael Trumbull won't mind my mentioning it. Um, I think you'll he, be okay with it. Um, we are looking at music and epilepsy. Um, okay. uh, and one of the things we've discovered, I, I, I didn't believe this. I, I didn't believe that music could in any way entrain electrical activity in the brain. Why? Because music's mechanical energy, and that's electromagnetic energy, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I'd underestimated the fact that the brain is a clever thing and it can, it can, you know, transfer between mechanical and electromagnetic energy information. Um, and we discovered that, that there seems to be ways in which music can help regulate brain activity. So what we're doing is uh, that the project... Um, which we're looking for funding for. So I'm very happy to put it out on your program. Yeah. Even we have, we, yeah. We have a group of children in Eastria. We've chosen that for a number of reasons. I work with homes, children's thing there, and they're very keen. And the top pediatricians and neurologists in Eastria are very keen to collaborate with us. So it's a good place. We have a location. What we're going to do is take some examples of children with uh, abnormal epilepsies of various kinds, and we're going to um, record their brains. Um, uh, the brain activity. We're going to then take it through, um, uh, I'm going to sonify it and turn it into sound. sound. Sonifying is a very good way of finding out what's going on in things, in because our ears are much better than our eyes at picking out coherences and details and big information. So we sonify um, and then and through my system X system which is a model of the musical brain I will then search for the piece of music or pieces of music, that most uh, resemble the frequency patterns of the child's brain. Um, and then we'll play that quietly to, uh, to the child while they're sleeping, um, under, of course, very controlled conditions. Um, and uh, the, the, the theory is, because we know that music can help stabilize a given brain state of electrical activity, epileptic seizures begin with spikes. Mm -hmm. and and changes in that behavior so the hope is and some reasonable evidence behind it that we can prevent spikes from happening and if we could prevent that would be for me as someone who's been passionate about music medicine if i am the kind of what is inevitably the last in my 70s now uh uh, the last phase of, of the way if i could be involved in you know generating what then would be a treatment uh, that would prevent nocturnal seizures which is a big killer of epileptic children mm. I would mm. be a very happy man uh, but anyway that's that's and I think it's going in all kinds of directions like that into very specific things that can address specific clinical goals that's where it's going music therapy was always there Mm. Um, um, whereas music medicine which is the application of music in in not always mediated therapy involves a mediator um, and and is much more powerful as a result by the way you know let's let's have some cheers for music therapists Um, but but there are situations where uh, music medicine music itself being played to people or being you know their own participation can be very powerful and so that that's I think it's going to specific things like that, and I very much hope that that works. But it's got to the evidence suggests it will.
1: That's a, I I definitely want to talk about system X or X system in, in a bit more detail. But just before before we were talking about how it's almost like the parts of your um, brain that's indestructible despite TBI or strokes or whatever. So it speaks to the importance of the 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 musical attributes of our of our brain I think I I wonder if there's any evidence about whether music uh, or beat or I think it's the predictability of beat is something that we've evolved to have um over th- throughout our evolution or whether this is something um beyond our evolution i.e this is is this something that's mirrored in other uh, species, uh, an- animals and primates? Yes,
0: uh, it is. I mean, there are, for example, you, you'll you have heard, you know, frogs duetting at night, you know, beside mm. it, or you'll have heard birds duetting where one sings the other. Um, but I think that what's different about human beings is entrainment. Uh-huh. In other words, that uh, we can flexibly change um, rhythmic activities together and influence one another with it. And I think we evolved that for a variety of reasons, um, uh, uh, probably. Uh, but it, um, uh, And of course, it does link to language at a certain level as well. Um, uh, it's interesting that um, uh, uh, I worked, I was very, another bit of fantastic good fortune, and I was teaching in Edinburgh. Um, I was with a a psychobiologist I worked with called Colwyn Trevathan. He's Um, well-known. As a neurologist, he discovered some of the circuitry of peripheral vision. He's a well-known scientist. Um, I was so lucky to have Colwyn as a colleague. And I was part of a group that developed a theory called communicative musicality. And what it is, is that looking at physiological evidence, archaeological evidence, and lots and lots of things, we were musical before we spoke. We did things like music before we spoke. And that those things seem to be absolutely vital for our survival. For example, we use sound, we think, to communicate emotional messages about our mm. motivations and intentions. If you can think of an early you know, human society, uh, if we imagine it, um, being, you know, having evolved already into this highly emotionally kind of labile kind of species. Um, uh, uh, to be able to say what you're feeling at one moment to others is very important to signal. And um, we believe that sound with the vocal sound was, was used. And um, To the extent that it even now, you know, can activate uh, neural subjects without even you thinking about it. Um, if you hear a sound like, ah, it's someone lost in the snow. And we have a sadness and a motivation to go and find mm. that person mm. or animal and save them. Uh, mm. uh, that is, you know, almost beyond our control. Well, we know where the neurons are that, that signal that to us. So things that even have got embedded, or, you know, the acoustic startle effect, we jump when a sudden sound happens. There are, uh, there are many things that, um, that may be even hardwired. And beyond that, things that are potentials, you know, not hardwired, but easily evoked uh, in uh-huh. human beings, um, Emotional things by sound. Um, and so in this complex of, of the sound communication, I hope being so important, the presence of rhythm in societies that needed to coordinate, mm-hmm. needed to survive because we're a collaborative species. Um, we achieve things by doing things in synchronization. I think we develop synchronization facilities and, and a <clears throat> neurology in the premotor cortex that enabled us to entrain rhythm, not just to duet, okay he's made a sound i'm going to make one now mm. in the gap mm. but rather i'm going to act in rhythm with that person and do the same thing um and i think that these these are, 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 are an evolutionary terms i think this is there was a crucial maybe about 200,000, 250,000 years ago, as we began to emerge into language, there was a, a very, very important phase where probably we were very, very musical. Um, everything in the brain suggests that. And the amount of musical data in the brainstem, my God, you know, the brainstem's already decoding pitch before you get to the audio. Yeah. It's already doing it. So our reptilian ancestors were doing it, never mind us. Um, uh, yes, but I think yes. there is there is something specifically human about uh, rhythmic coordination um uh, and um and coordinating one another that's the critical thing birds can coordinate and frogs and things and reptiles but coordinating one another um you know being able to offer this is my rhythm i'm going to give it to you this is the way i'm working join me and we'll be better doing it together yeah. that's yeah. the human
1: story Yeah. And I think, you know, the the emotive intelligence that one develops throughout their childhood and adulthood speaks to that. You know, the intonation of my voice tells a lot about how I'm feeling in that moment or how I want to be interpreted uh, about what I'm feeling. It's something that has actually crept into medicine quite a bit over the last 20 years. Communication skills, body language, tonation, the type of questions that you ask the 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 monosyllabalic nature or um the to, you know there's so many different things that are quite intangible um but what i'm particularly fascinated in is the idea that you can personalize music for therapeutic um uh, approaches and and it sounds like that's what you're doing with 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 x system
0: yes because x system is, is interesting in a sense it achieves it by almost the opposite. Um, X-System is an attempt to model the universal musical brain. Uh, and, and what were, uh, But having done that, <laughs> it then puts us into pole position, you know, to look at personal preference um, and to give the right space for personal uh-huh. experience and impression. It also means we don't have to invade people's privacy. I mean, m- many of the uh, technologies that are attempting to identify musical emotions are tracking you you know, uh-huh. uh, in all sorts of ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're even trying to get, they're even trying to get onto your desktop. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we are not doing that. Uh, uh, we, we have a model of uh, a universal, music, which is surprisingly robust. I think we have underestimated the universality of the human brain and particularly mm-hmm. the musical brain. Because for example, uh, I'm being lucky enough also to work in places like India, I've tested the model of the human brain we have created in Europe, um, America, and I've tested it in India, and the results are exactly the same. Uh, our, the, the implication would be our musical plays are identical identical without the slightest whisker of a difference um, wow. the thing that's different is our experience and our cult- culture is part of our experience so of course then people have different preferences so i think that uh, uh personalizing music is a very very important process of identifying both the universal that's relevant and the very personal that's relevant so for example the playlist that we put up um on on our nhs website um are um, designed, you know, for example, if you're very agitated to, and train you to relaxation, using universal analysis. Hmm. However, we do universal analysis of everything every possible genre we can get our hands on, which means that people can choose to go through this process with the music they like and Mm -hmm. are familiar with. So there are two processes here. There's a universal and a personal one. But I, I would say that we've under... I think our experience would be that we've underestimated the universality. And I think we do so generally. I think human beings tend to underestimate the extent to which they are the same. Mm. Um, and have the same feelings and after all music is perhaps the medium that probably most communicates in this moment feeling to human beings and if that's you know incredibly universal then why isn't everything else you know um uh, i I think that we are feeling the same things the same sensations the same moments as we live um we are much closer to one another than we think uh and um and so, and, and that becomes a very important message, not just in daily life, you know, but to deal with life on our planet, you know, yeah. um, and the fact that, you know, please let's have respect for all human beings. We are exactly the same. The odd little bit of pigmentation gene that crops up through environmental, you know, epigenetic factors, uh, you know, is, is, is a genetic irrelevance Hardly exists in the space that dictates the genuine identity of a human being. So I, I, I think there is a moral issue in it that's really important. Uh, that I'm glad that we've been able to substantiate.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that I mean just I could listen to you speak all day Nigel. Uh, <laughs> the way you uh you explain that and I think you know the the way it's linked to the universality of human experience and and through music that is across culture and I think this is this phenomenon that people and uh, they understand it when it's explained to them as you know we we talk about it but otherwise we forget about just how interconnected we are across cultures. And how a, a single piece of music can evoke similar responses from seemingly separate cultures?
0: Absolutely, and and the fact that we, even when cultures develop their own codes, you know, and we can learn them very quickly. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it's uh, uh, it, it takes you know, I, I give a little, I mean, obviously, it takes about seven years if you want to be a good musician to learn to play well in another culture, but it takes you seven years to play well in your own first culture mm. anyway. Uh, that's about, about it, that's what we say. But for example, now I'm traveling in, uh, uh, in, in Java, Indonesia, uh, and with the Gamelan, uh, and, uh, and you, you know, come to a group of Gamelan players, you know, uh, and they say come over and play with us, but I don't know what to play. Uh, uh, and they sit you by the most important instrument in the Gamelan, the big gong, the gong gong mm. Uh, and they say, play that. And they say, I don't know when to play. And they say, don't worry, the gamelan will tell you. And it does. You know when to play. And, uh, you listen, if you're awesome to it. Okay, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and so within uh, you know a few seconds, someone who has no knowledge of another musical culture is playing the most important instrument in the ensemble. I'm not underestimating the knowledge that needs to be got to be a good gamelan player, seven years to make any kind of start of... Um, uh, but um but the, the the musical the human musical bit is is mm. immediate you 're in there um, uh, yeah, and and of course, appreciation is something getting to know the music of another culture so that you recognize the nuances i mean, for example, in Indian music, to learn the rags is very enriching. If you have the patience to learn the rags, uh, then that gives you a richness of experience that you're not going to have if you don't know them. But the rags can still talk to you. They'll still affect you. you uh, But you you can actually be in conversation with the rags. You you can actually be in there with them if you want. Um, uh, But that's, that's a learning process. You've got to put some time into that.
1: Absolutely. And, 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 and this is wet. certainly my appetite for, for engaging a lot more in music and potentially music therapy going forward. If people who are listening to this want to engage in some of this, how 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 do we find, you know, where to uh, where, which pieces of music we should we should start listening to or where to start?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's there are. I mean, the the commercial sites give you off you some things um, uh, and they're OK to a certain level. Mm. Uh, I mean, they've done it through, you know, uh, often through looking at, you know, the likes and dislikes principle, um, mm. and there's some basic technology that some of them use. Um, uh, so I'm hoping that, you know, with X system, we can get to a point where we can make that more av- available. I'm not doing a commercial. I'm beyond in my life though those kinds of judgments. Uh, 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 but I th- I'd like I'd like to get a more flexible tool out to people. Absolutely, that would be one of my hopes, um, and that uh, uh, it, it's there, it's ready. It just needs, it would need the music industry to wake up a bit. Um,
1: yeah.
0: uh, they're they're quite asleep, um, oddly enough, um, and not realizing that they've been engulfed. You know, uh, the world of music has changed totally, yeah. uh, uh, streaming and everything. Um, so they've really got to for example i'm talking to people now we really do need a music license the nhs right Uh we want we need to be able to free to use whatever music we want in music medicine we can't at the moment Uh, for our uh, um, website we bought um a a trial license but Mm. um anyway there are things where people really need to wake up and in that awakening i'd love to see a situation where people will be able to get access to these these things um As I say, the only things that are commercially available are from the commercial platforms, and they're not that bad. I mean, you know, the Spotify relax and so on is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I'd like to think that we're able to do um, a job that is more commensurate with people's hopes yeah yeah
1: i see that and so your your website being the recovery college online that's right um, um, music music
0: well-being yes that's exactly. right um, um and it's um uh yes it, it's it's the recovery college for Tees esque and we Valley. ali yes. fantastic uh absolutely and, and one of the the strange paradoxes of this difficult time i mean it is difficult for britain in particular um i think we, you know um, I don't want to get political, but I, I think that our politicians have allowed a situation where this has got out of hand, but it, in mm. which it didn't need to be. But uh, and many people have died. But on the other hand, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 in, in this terrible cloud, there is also a small silver lining, which is that there's been an opportunity to uh, and, a, and an awareness. Um, of the importance of things that maybe we haven't valued always. Um, so, for example, my colleagues and you know Teasers and we we've been talking for many years, um, and now you know we suddenly have the moment where a door swings open, and um, uh, and that's good. I, mean, I hope we can use it well that that opportunity. Um, and there's one nice about thing about music, you can't do people any harm, can you? So uh, if, if we're totally bananas and totally wrong about what we're saying, we're not gonna do anybody any harm. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> it's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that you know what it's interesting. I think there will be uh, certainly an appetite um for music streaming websites, certainly to to get involved in uh musical therapy and wellness, um, because if there is this mountain of data, mountain of research, uh, that could be you know therapeutic for a whole bunch of different conditions, whether it be stroke, autism, neurodegenerative conditions, um, even PTSD, or or general wellness for the for you know people who don't regard themselves as having an issue. Um, there's, certain, there's certainly a market there and I, I would try, I would love to try and facilitate some of those conversations as Please, well. Please, if you could,
0: I would be delighted. I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it would be absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's the, you know, it's the moment and it's there uh, and we've got lots to do. I mean, uh, we can't take our system to the next stage of development until we have got larger usage, you know, in it to be able to develop it. So uh, it, it needs some it needs that to, to, as a human resource, irrespective of anything else, um, a chance to, uh, to 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 develop in that way.
1: And, and in the meantime, I would definitely direct people to the website where you actually do breathwork as well as listening to the music, which I think is brilliant. It's such a great idea. I'm definitely I'm I'm a keen meditator myself, and I use breathwork, but I I haven't done it to music before. I'm definitely going to entertain that.
0: Yeah. It's the point. Great thing is you don't have to count. It does it for you. If you've got a tempo at a second. Okay. Those are seconds. Um, It's difficult. It's important to find the right kind of music because the the optimum breathing, you know, for standard 10 second uh, patterns, uh, you know, which, uh, of, as you know better than anybody else, you know, corresponds to, you know, sinus, arrhythmias, heart rate mm. variability, um, wave, you know, you could, all of those things are happening and can be trapped uh, uh, and trained by that. Um, but of course, 10 beats in a bar is not normal for music, so uh-huh. uh, uh, so actually, you have to look around for the things that that give you that. I mean, uh, but there are clearly for generations composers have been intuiting it. And, you know, there's a piece of Bach we use that. Uh, Bach must have known, because it breathes so well. It's in six beats, but it goes in ten, uh, just in the right way for breathing. Uh, somewhere, either consciously or probably unconsciously, the guy knew, you know, somewhere in his body that this was sounding good <laughs> and, and feeling. Yeah. Good. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so uh, it really is interesting, the uh, uh, phenomenon.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah. And I can imagine people listening to this now undulating to the music <laughs> in their heads as they think about it. And certainly, you know, I'm going to link to all of these in the show notes. I I just wanted to end with, we've talked a lot about um, musical therapy, um, almost in the sense of of passive reception of music. What about the active role of music, i.e., um singing uh the 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 manifestation of music
0: yes i mean we we, i mean most music therapy is active and interactive Mm -hmm. um i mean the most common uh form of music therapy is something we call in in the uk something we call co-improvisation we we make up music with people uh, we find out what they like what they want to say and we help them say it basically and through that uh, we become we share the things that music allows us to share and we're able to lead sometimes to lead people into better places sometimes accompany them into better places um so yeah i mean there is a, uh, a that that the active thing which is tremendously important and singing is is really vital i mean mm. um uh, so i mean for example you know, we're, we're, we're sitting here, we're probably using 20% of our lung capacity. If we're working hard, maybe 50 or 60. Um, but there are only one or two activities that give 100% and good singing. With proper support is the one thing that enables us actually properly to to uh, exercise our lungs. It's as simple yeah. as that. So you yeah. couldn't get more basic than that. So yes, active music therapy is tremendously important. And the work I did with traumatized kids, you know, in war zones, is very much um, active and interactive. They are singing, they're playing, um, absolutely. Um, uh, and the, the the strength of you know trying to make you know platforms for listening is that you can get some of that effect by listening. Not all of it, uh, yeah. but some of it. Uh, and so that's worth having. And so that's why we we have we, we just listen as well. It, it, it's it's people, something people can do at home on their own, you know, um, and without needing instruments or people to play with.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Nigel, it's been a pleasure to speak to you and um, and you know just uh, try and invite the listeners to a new uh, form of therapy that perhaps they haven't uh, entertained before or you know hadn't uh, had an understanding of I've certainly got a lot more to learn about this and I love the uh, the entwinement with um, neuroscience um, it's something that I need to you know spend a bit more time on myself um, just a final question it's <laughs> a little bit fun but can you explain baby shark? Can you explain why why it's become this phenomena across the world in terms of the universality of how many children love this song?
0: Yes. Well, I think that it's um, uh, uh, part of it is we're, uh, you know we can uh, we learn and remember. Music is also about learning and remember. So actually, you get the right promotion machine behind you, <laughs> and, right? Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I mean the music industry works like that, and there's nothing wrong with that so that's great um I, I just wish they'd do a bit more variety. and baby shop's great but i i i i i would wish they'd be a bit more adventurous in what they pump to people just to give people a little bit i mean for a it's, it's a little bit like the music industry is peddling a large number of very sweet desserts with lots gotcha. of sugar in them uh, to yeah. people and and i want or like people you know to have their vegetables and, and you know, proper uh, i like people who have their vitamins and proteins and uh, uh, and, and music is like that it, it does involve a variety of things we do, we do need a balanced diet of music as well
1: definitely i i hear that absolutely nigel thank you so much honestly it's been an absolute pleasure it really has Please do check out the links on the podcast uh, show notes page, the, the doctorskitchen.com I, I absolutely love Professor Nigel. Like I said in the pod, I could listen to him talk all day long. Just the manner in which he discusses this subject matter is just brilliant. So do check him out. I'm not going to say much more. Give this a five-star review. Share it with your friends. If anyone you think can find this useful, and I will see you next week.